Welcome to Finding Fit, a podcast by three best friends and business partners. We're holding nothing back, and we apologize in advance. I'm your host, Angela Beeler. And I'm your host, Katherine Ballas. And I'm your host, Emily Field. So grab a cup of coffee, take a shot of whiskey, or pour your favorite glass of Prosecco. And join us for a conversation about finding your place in this crazy world. And this. Is finding fit. <laughs> that was good. That was a hundred percent improvement, even though it was still wrong. Okay, guys. Well, well, I'm gonna say that over. Okay, girls yeah. and guy, we have a special <laughs> guest on our podcast today. And if you're just tuning in to this particular episode, I do want to remind you guys: all season long, we've been riffing, meaning mm-hmm. every episode has just been a literal brain dump. Things that have <laughs> We've wanted to talk about. There's mm-hmm. been no rhyme or no reason. It's been a fun season of just uh, showing up and getting to talk with you guys each week. But one common theme that we have encountered, I think, in almost every episode that we have recorded and released is the topic of therapy. Mm-hmm. And Catherine, you, in my opinion, are a therapy expert. <laughs> and Emily and I are master. Both- what yes. does that say about me? <laughs> you go a lot. Yes. And Catherine or Emily and I are therapy virgins. Okay. And I think it would be inappropriate to say we are losing our virginity today. Oh, wow. Okay. That probably would be inappropriate to say. Yeah. And, and, and I'm saying it anyway, which is probably why I need therapy. Right. Yeah. <laughs> So tell us, um, this is probably going to be the season finale. So Really? Yeah. Yeah, maybe. We also have some questions we were supposed to answer. Remember we asked everyone to call us? We still have that episode. I only think one person asked the question. Well, if you guys, we have a phone number. (laughs) Make sure you can call us so we can do an episode about that. Well, can we keep our time? Sure. Still... And just hang out. <laughs> talk to each just other. Just talk to each other on microphones. <laughs> well, I have already read um, Therapist Jared's bio. Catherine, I haven't read it, but you gave us a little bit of a download about who he is, what kind of therapy he does. I am chomping at the bit to mm-hmm. ask him questions, too, because he's so interesting. Yeah. So there's your segue for yes. his so, bio. Because, so, let's, so here's how this rolled out. So in the season, we said, okay, Everybody needs therapy. Angela and Emily said, we've never been to therapy. And so then we get an email from Jared here. Um, His wife is a refit instructor. His kid is a big refit fan and said, hey, I'm I'm raising my hand to help you guys. If you you ever need somebody to interview, because we asked like, hey, if you're a therapist out there, we would love to interview you. And so him and I had been talking for the last couple of weeks and scheduled a time. And so he... He's here today, which is super exciting. So so a little bit about Jared. Um, Jared T. Johnson is a licensed clinical social worker. That's an LCSW for you people who like the letters behind names. Um, He got his degree from the University of Utah, where his clinical focus was on forensics. Jared has worked in the field for over 20 years and and as a clinician for the last eight years, he's worked in residential and outpatient substance Use disorder clinics. Currently, he works in three main areas. Number one, the Utah County Jail, where he works in and created and supervises a specialized program for high-risk criminal offenders and monitors high-risk inmates. Number two, an outreach program that aids in, uh, with stabilizing housing and treating homeless individuals. And number three, his private practice. And so here's some of the um, therapy types he uses because that was one of the questions y'all had as well. Um, cognitive behavior therapy, acceptance commitment therapy, relapse prevention therapy, motivational interviewing, and mindfulness intervention skills. 
So Jared has been married to his wife, Damien, for 15 years, who is an amazing refit instructor. <laughs> they have four kids, yes. which is amazing. One of whom just got her ears pierced. Yes. She, she was on prior to the filming to yes. tell us yes. that. Big time. So important. So Jared, hi. Howdy. <laughs> <laughs> Welcome. Uh, Thank I'd, you. We were joking before we started filming uh, or recording that um, Emily gave some parameters on today's therapy session, which is she doesn't want to talk about her past or her family. (laughs) (laughs) Which I... Really limiting a lot of stuff. (laughs) I said, hey, if you do your job, you can still dig in somewhere. (laughs) I want to talk about present day and just myself. (laughs) Spoken like a true Enneagram 7. Let's not talk about anything painful, but let's just talk about current events. Yeah. Let's talk about what is exciting. (laughs) Yeah, you know, and that's fine because th- that can actually be really helpful when clients do give a parameter mm-hmm. of what they're willing to go into, and that really does need to be respected. So I, I totally appreciate that, that, and I think it'd be really helpful. And there's certain therapy types of specific present moment, like thinking and where they're at. Um, and if they want to go past that, then that's their choice moving forward, right? Yeah. But if it's something that we don't need to dig up for no reason, because then we could just cause more harm. There's no point in doing it. Yeah. That. Thank you, Jared. So that and it it stems from I've had. Um, impromptu therapy where questions were asked and then I gave answers and I wish I hadn't. And so, you know, meeting number one live on air, I'm just (laughs) saying from right now, you know, a question could be asked, but I now know that certain answers won't be given. So I'm just letting everybody. I did send Jared our um, Bon Guava episode Mm -hmm. as just a like, hey, not let's not do this if we can right. stay away from I feel from like I've that. been to bad therapy. Yes. That, that, well, and go. that wasn't even therapy. I well, exactly. We, didn't, we did not pay for that. It, so that well, exactly, was not therapy. But it was the same kind of line of questioning as... But maybe not. Maybe Jared maybe. will help uh, shift our mindset. Yes. Yeah. Well, Jared, my parameters are I don't have any boundaries. And <laughs> I will answer any question you ask. However, we probably will need to edit most of it out of the <laughs> podcast. <laughs> so... <laughs> Uh, All right. uh, mine yeah open book um here to also help guide if help if that's helpful and um the end yeah let's start off with a few um and i am writing just some of these things down just so so, sorry if i'm kind of not there i'm writing that down just so i make sure that i don't cross anything and i just keep aware of that so yeah no he's taking the notes he's he's gonna gonna burn them i I did listen to that i actually did listen to that podcast and my wife had actually shown it to me before because she's like she's like this is ridiculous and i was like yeah that's like it was Anyway, so I'd re- listened to it before. So when I started listening, I was like, oh, yeah, I've, I've, I've never heard actually going over this with me before. So, yeah. yeah. So I, I apologize for the notes. <laughs> no, you're good. I, I will shred them in front of you if that's what we do Thank at the you. end. But I would do okay. <laughs> yes, he's going to file these notes away. And you're going to have to file them into one of your modalities, right? Like he's going to put my notes in the cognitive behavioral no. <laughs> ther- therapy file. <laughs> Emily's going to be filed in the mindfulness file. There you go. Well, as long as it didn't go in my forensic file, you'll be fine. <laughs> I do want to hear about that. Yes, that I do too. Interesting. But I have a lot of places where you could start. But yeah, let's start with some um, some neutral questions. Um, what I would okay. love to know from you is what do you love about your job? I cannot imagine the stress that you carry. Um, and how do you balance? a continued love for humanity when you're dealing with such broken people all the time? Great question. Um, I think that's probably why I love it. Um, I, and, and to be, you know, full disclosure, I was 
pretty rough youth growing up. Like it was not the kindest of people, I guess you could say. So, uh, yeah, it, my thought is like the reason why I kind of work in the forensics area, the jail area as kind of a specialty is I really could have ended up there if I didn't have like good family support, mm -hmm. good support from my community, things like that. Mm -hmm. Um, and so for me, it's kind of like, th th they're my people, I guess you yeah. could say. Yeah. Um, and it, and it, and it's, it's, it's exciting. It's, um, pretty in depth and it's, uh, it's just a fun field to work in, but also, you know, I, I go around to so many different areas and, uh, I, I really just kind of like working on the patterns, getting in depth with people. And honestly, when people are locked up, they really don't have anything to lose. So they tell you everything and we get mm -hmm. pretty hardcore into everything that's going on with them. So it's, it's really fun and rewarding that way. Oh. Yeah. So with every conversation you have being confidential, how do you not feel like you're going to combust from the inside out? Like how do you release or yeah, do you take get, therapy? get things out of your own body mm. that you're storing for other people? So part, part of the thing with therapists is we usually have like a supervisory kind of type team so that you go to like your supervisor, go to these things so you can kind of get some of that stuff out. Cause obviously you can't release, um, like specific details about clients and stuff like that with family and other things mm -hmm. like that. Cause that'd be a conflict, very confidentiality and everything. Right. We do have supervisory teams that we do that. We staff things really carefully. Um, we really monitor our staff for like burnout and other things like that, making sure people keep boundaries. But yeah, we, we do need to keep that going. Cause if not, you're right. It, it, it gets pretty, um, pretty brutal on the mind, I guess you could say mm -hmm. sometimes. Mm -hmm. So yeah, we do do that and we keep in touch that way. Yeah. I have a, Heavy question. Okay. <laughs> no longer neutral. Yeah. yeah. <laughs> You've seen the best of the best and the worst of the worst on a therapy spectrum, right? Like you've seen probably people like us that are just, you know, trying to figure out how to be better humans. And then you've seen probably terrible humans just try to move the dial just a little bit to be a little less terrible. Um, mm -hmm. In your opinion, is it and I know it's ultimately a combination, but what determines the kind of person someone is going to be? Is it nature? Is, is it, it nurture? nurture? Also, yes. So both of those, right? <laughs> <laughs> yes. Is there a percentage? Like, you know, 40% is your nurturing comp composition and the 60% mm -hmm. is nature. Well, yeah, because to add on to that question, because different types of therapy will... <laughs> I'm saying this will like I know anything about therapy. <laughs> I've heard, so heard. I think I am what guessing the people say. that <laughs> what the science says. Different types of therapy might address how you were hardwired, right? Like the certain type of therapy, and then other therapies that help you just talk through your experience in life like the nurture side of it so yeah what makes like for the best candidate for therapy what type of person is going to be the most responsive to mm -hmm. it and how do you determine which type of therapy a person needs okay it's like 17 questions yeah oh this is a great question i actually really appreciate it um one thing that we want to evaluate first is uh like what say when someone comes into my office or you know i'm meeting with in the jail cell whatever it might be right on both of those spectrums I always look at what their learning style is first. And we know based off of, you know, some evidence that people either learn more auditory, visually, or mm -hmm. kinesthetically or hands-on. Mm -hmm. So depending on their learning style is really how we need to cater to therapy. Mm -hmm. Now, people that 
tend to prosper a lot more in therapy because most therapists are what we call auditory processors, meaning they learn the information kind of going back and forth that way. Mm -hmm. That fits really well for a lot of people that are going to seek therapy. But you take someone who's a kinesthetic learner, which we know most people that are incarcerated or have um, impulse control issues are more on that hands-on spectrum um, and the visual spectrum. So we have to do hands-on stuff. So it'd be a lot of like role play, showing them actually how to do a skill. Hmm. So when I'm at the jail, it's like nonstop hands-on role playing. We're like rehashing a fight where I'm, you know, playing the wife or the husband or the brother and like how we kind of go about that. Mm-hmm. Um, and then if I have more of an auditory person, sometimes I'm not the best fit for them because I'm a kinesthetic learner as well. Mm-hmm. So the auditory learners sometimes get distracted with me because I'm loud and I'm using my hands and I'm like going all over the place, mm-hmm. right? And for them, they're like, oh my gosh, like chill out, dude, right? <laughs> so, but I have to make sure that I cater my style to that and understand where they're at. Um, so a lot of that, that's the starting point. So if we were to say, let's say we have someone who's got some impulse control issues, substance use, maybe aggression, violence, social learning, theory-based cognitive behavioral therapy, that would be hands-on and role-playing. I'm doing this. Hmm. We're doing something that has more of the need to kind of like talk through and process those things, kind of get an idea, maybe some self-reflection. I'd use a lot more of acceptance commitment therapy. Okay. And it's really targeted toward their needs in that sense. That's really, that's a really great approach just to kind of get a peek behind the curtain. Um, Could you explain to like the difference between CBT and the acceptance therapy for For people who have like no baseline? Yeah. So cognitive behavioral therapy, what it's, the basis is, is they want to understand, okay, what are the belief systems and thoughts that are causing the behaviors? And then what we want to do is either help them understand like if we have someone who's a little bit more cognitively aware of themselves, we don't want to enhance the cognitions to then enhance the behaviors in a healthy way. But if we have someone who's a lot more behaviorally oriented, we start getting them to do a lot of healthier behaviors to then increase the cognitions that way hmm. so that they can kind of target, tar- sorry, target the unhealthy belief systems and the automatic thoughts that kind of impulse control. So that would be that in kind of a nutshell. And then just understanding the beliefs, the activating events, triggers, cues, whatever that might lead to how they're mm-hmm. thinking. With acceptance commitment therapy, it's kind of a, it's kind of a, like a brainchild of cognitive behavioral therapy, but mm-hmm. it's practiced in a lot more of like what we call mindfulness skills, being able to go in kind of the meta realm. And that's really one of my favorite things about actor acceptance commitment therapy is you kind of go into this meta thought of like, who am I as this person? What are my fused beliefs? How do I defuse from them? Who, like, and also addresses how, Sometimes we all believe we have this concept of who we are, right? Like mm-hmm. this amalgamation of whatever it might be, but that's not necessarily true because we don't look at ourselves in the context anymore, hmm. right? We get these negative beliefs. Maybe it's from the external world of like, um, I don't know, you know, you look at a billboard, oh, I'm not the best at this, or I'm not this, or we look on, you know, Facebook, Instagram, those things, we start seeing mm-hmm. that I don't have all this stuff. And then we start tearing ourselves down kind of over the person and they no longer themselves in the context of like okay but i'm an active mom that's doing this and this with my kids Mm -hmm. we start looking at the things that i'm not and then that turns into our belief system about ourselves so actually kind of busts that open it's just to focus on our values and our goals and that's why i really like act okay Okay. love that yeah wow um two questions one are there some people for whom therapy does not and will not work second question what is the difference between someone who sees a therapist versus someone who needs a psychiatrist versus a counselor? I get all, all, all of them confused. Like mm-hmm. what's the okay. definition of terms? Mm-hmm. 
Okay. So for the, for the first question, oh my gosh, I just lost it because I started going. The, That's okay. The first right. are, are there some people out there for whom therapy will oh. not work? So in the realm of therapy, the, the types of, I guess, clients we could say um, are ones that struggle with personality disorders. Um, reason being is it is there's a lot of defensiveness towards some of those things. Um, and usually it stems from a lot of abuse and other things. So it's hard for the person to actually trust someone else. Mm-hmm. Now they do have specific therapies that target that. Um, for example, like narcissistic personality disorder, antisocial personality disorder, and borderline personality disorder. <clears throat> yeah. Yeah. And here's the thing. The one that have probably the most success are, is borderline personality disorder. And there's a type of therapy called dialectical behavioral therapy that is really effective. Um, and also something called EMDR. Now I'm not certified in EMDR, but that's one that I, I've signed up for like 15 trainings, but mm-hmm. the COVID hit every time I just, I never get to go do it or I'm presenting at another conference or something. So I haven't been able to do it. Mm-hmm. Uh, but those have been proven really effective to help with trauma. Then that tends to work really well. Mm-hmm. But your antisocial personality types, which is the people that I work with in the jail, mm-hmm. right? Like violent criminal offenders, pretty, they reject a lot of anything that's being offered or anything like that. Same thing with narcissistic personalities because they already know it all. So mm-hmm. what do they need it for? Right. So those, right. They're, they're difficult. Now, do I say they're hopeless? No. Right. Um, but it, it's a little bit harder and um, they're designing therapy types that work better like that. So CBT, right. The cognitive behavioral therapy that I mentioned earlier, that is, that works really well for your standard depression, anxiety, and stuff like that. And it's kind of one of the most widely used therapies, mm-hmm. but the social learning theory-based cognitive therapy that I kind of am specialized in, that works really good for your antisocial personality types. And, and when I say antisocial, sorry, colloquially, we mean, we say that as like a wallflower person. That's mm-hmm. not what that means. Right. Antisocial is against society. So like, mm. like I hate every, everyone, everyone in society thing. So yeah, that's yeah. what's more effective with them. So, yeah. So just yeah. to bring some more clarity there, cause I think, um, you don't know what you don't know. And so you mentioned personality disorders. Those would, would that fall in a certain category? And then like anxiety, depression yes. falls in a separate category. Could you yes. kind of open that up a little bit for, for, for sure? For sure. So people that have like maybe personality disorder, they could still have like your depression or anxiety and everything like that. Right. Mm-hmm. But there's specific behavioral patterns that fall along with personality disorders versus a, maybe a chemical imbalance that might be happening with the depressive or the anxiety based stuff. Okay, mm-hmm. so It's a little bit more about like, um, this might be a little bit more of that argument toward it's more of the uh, the nature nurture and mm-hmm. version of that because this is this set set of patterns that I'm in and breaking free from that can be really difficult again not impossible yeah right um, but then on the other end there is a nature piece to this as well where if like sometimes we have people that have had like traumatic brain injuries uh, maybe if there was a lot of alcoholism that was going on while they were in the womb less impulse control, um, ADHD, for example, if you have ADHD as a youth, you're more than likely to experience conduct disorder. Yeah. Me too. Yeah. <laughs> Me too. Yeah. 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 Catherine yeah. and Emily are both raising their hands for the ADHD. Yeah. <laughs> and the thing is, is that that can lead to a little bit more impulsive behavior mm-hmm. because what's happened. Well, and, and if do you want me to explain a little bit about sure. ADHD? Yeah. yeah. Do it. This is just one of my favorite things to explain to people. That's why I'm mm-hmm. pushing it. But anyway, so with ADHD, what we find is that there's a certain level of like serotonin in the system, serotonin and dopamine, right? And that would be normative levels. What they find with people with ADHD is that level's low. So they do a lot of like, like activity to kind of boost that up, right? And that's why it also gets rewarded with a lot of negative attention 
because you're doing something to kind of like move around, like do something. So, you know, teachers in school, knock that off this and this. Mm-hmm. Well, they do, she started to learn that they're a bad person mm-hmm. because of that, because they get othered. And that really creates a separation when in actuality, the teacher could actually use that to get the class motivated because that person's a high energy, get everyone rolling kind of type person. Mm-hmm. And so because they're acting kind of get that normal flow of uh, serotonin dopamine going, they're moving around doing a lot of stuff. Right. Mm-hmm. And then that kind of like normalizes it. And that's also what medications sometimes do is they can stabilize that uh, the equilibrium of the, what do you call it? The, the equilibrium of like the serotonin flow and everything. Like that. And that's what makes it feel normal. So that yeah. can be really helpful. Wow. I was actually going to um, ask him whenever you talked about medication, what is your take on when is therapy alone? The, the recipe versus when, when therapy needs to be coupled with a prescription. Okay. So do you mind if I answer? Um, oh, yeah. Counselor, therapist, yes. psychiatrist, psychologist. Yeah. So, so therapist is your talk therapist. That'd be like what I do. Okay. okay. Therapist, clinical psychologist. Clinical psychologist can do a little bit more like testing for some specific things. Um, but a therapist and clinical psychologist can do therapy and diagnose. And that's just your talk therapy, behavioral activation plan, stuff like that. Your psychiatry and, and, and counselors also fall into that, but it depends on the way that it's defined. Mm-hmm. So we have things called um, substance use disorder counselors, and they're they can help with like skills and psychoeducation, but they can't break into the therapy, like doing actual therapy realm, mm-hmm. right? Like processing emotions, uh, traumas, and things like that. But they can educate on skills to help with it. They just can't do the actual like therapy digging kind of type mm-hmm. piece to that. Okay. they're not licensed for it. And so the psychiatrist it, can prescribe medication. They're the only right. ones out of the group. They have a right? medical background. Yes. They're either an MD or DO. Mm-hmm. And then they also have um, uh, psych nurse practitioners and uh, doctorate of nurse practitioning. Okay. Now what those are, they're, they're essentially nurses that got their, degree through nursing and then they went up through and then they got their medical degree that way and they are also allowed to prescribe medications family practice docs can do it as well mm-hmm. the only issues is sometimes they're not as well trained in some of those mm-hmm. things right and some of them do a great job i'm not i'm not dogging that but if you're really struggling with like severe depression anxiety it'd be good to go to someone who actually like knows like it right a lot yeah but in you know pretty recently i'd say probably the last 15 years or 10 years now your family practice doctor ask you those list of questions uh-huh. we're growing up that was never asked of me mm-hmm. you know so i imagine maybe even that's why you you see more family practitioners kind of passing out medication mm-hmm. because it now i think they're i don't know if it's required but right. it is like the do you feel safe at home do you have more bad days than good right like right was never asked that yeah you know? so for the for the listener at home who might feel like they are struggling and wanting to decide where to start first are those is it like a sliding scale like try to find a trusted counselor first if the counselor is limited in what they're able to provide then find a therapist then see a psychologist and then maybe be referred to a psychiatrist how do you know what your entry point how do you yeah, yeah where do you start like I always okay. look at people's letters behind their names. I'm like, if it's just like counselor at blah church on the corner, I'm like, well, okay, no. But like, but, if there's letters behind their name, I'm like, that must mean something. Yeah. But I also think that like, if you're struggling with depression, part of the problem is not knowing where to start. Totally. Right. Do I go to family practice, whatever. And then if you're someone like Jeffrey Dahmer, okay. you know, that's what we can <laughs> go there. Uh, we just need to start at the top with the psychiatrist. <laughs> 
Or maybe decapitation, whatever works. Yeah, yeah. One, of, one of those things. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> I, I don't know if I could help that person at all at that point. I mean, I would, I'd love to try, but that would be a little difficult, right? Yeah, I have lots of questions yeah, about yeah. Dahmer, but let's start with Emily's. Yeah, yeah. yeah. So if someone yeah. just needs help, doesn't know where to start, where would be a good starting point? So if if they're to the point where they're feeling like depression or anxiety that's making it so they're feeling like they might have suicidal thoughts or they're super detached, really one of the best best ways it would be to immediately get into like a psychiatrist and some other things to see if that medication can help right off the bat, mm-hmm. but also in conjunction with talk therapy. Yeah. Okay. That's really, really critical mass. Now, if someone's, mm-hmm. and again, both of those interventions can be really, really helpful. Um, but it, that's in extreme cases. The problem is, is usually psychiatrists are booked out about three to six months in advance. Yeah. It's really hard to get in. Now, if you go in and you're seeing a therapist, now, not a counselor, but a therapist, right? Um, they can actually kind of help guide that if it's, there's kind of an increase in severity and stuff like that, they can move that. But then they'll also be doing actual therapy with someone. Counseling is, again, based on a lot of, if they say they're a counselor, right, or like a life coach or some of these things. Now, people get kind of sucked into that. Mm-hmm. They really can't do therapy, even though, in my opinion, I'm not trying to slander and be rude. They overstep their bounds too much, yeah. um, and it's not very helpful. Yeah. So it's good for them to see a therapist or a PhD psychologist that's actually going to do behavioral interventions, things like that, to kind of start moving that way, or also just provide them a safe place to actually discuss some ideas and maybe even challenge those thoughts in a productive way that's going to lead to less less harm. Yeah. Yeah. I think you brought something up that's I've often felt. Um, with and I, you know, life coach or counselor, when people are in need, they just you know grab typically for the first thing in front of them, and and again, not to knock any anyone because you know I think we do a lot of personal and professional development here um, based on different you know teachings we've learned. But gosh, by no means are any of us licensed to do any type of therapy, right? right? Yeah. And I think that can be confusing for people mm-hmm. when, when they are in need. And so, um, yeah, and, and to hear, you know, there are options is, is hopeful. Um, and then just to, even to know the difference between kind of, okay, this, doc, this person is a doctor and can prescribe medication. Mm-hmm. This is more talk therapy. Um, and most people probably, well, not most, but a fair amount of people might need a combination of the two. Um, I know for, for me... Um, knowing what I need is one of the hardest things to identify. And then seeing just an array of options makes it a little bit more difficult. Yeah. Well, and I imagine that with someone who has depression, say for example, which I think is pretty common, knowing, knowing that you are actively in a state of depression, because sometimes even being able to look up and out in those moments is difficult to even know that you need help. Right, right, right. So often we're like, we're like get people who are des- who are depressed but don't know it about themselves yet, right? Or maybe saying? they they don't have that language, but it's just mm-hmm. you know knowing that I feel sad or it's hormonal, and we sort of want to sweep it under the rug. No, I'm fine. This will pass. This is you know. So what are some key markers for someone who might be depressed but doesn't yet have the label for that yet? Mm-hmm. Is it a length of time? Is it you know, the question of more bad days than good, how would someone clue in to the fact that they're depressed? I mean, diagnostically, it's it's the feeling down and out, like more days than good over like a six-month period. That That's like the beginning, what we would say, 
a depression is. Um, one of the key hallmarks is something called anhedonia. Um, that seems to be one of the things that kind of cues people in that things are happening really not healthily for them. And what that is, is when you, um, you start to lose interest or pleasure, interest or pleasure in things that you used to find a lot of interest and pleasure in. Mm-hmm. When that starts to dissipate, that's usually a high indicator that, you know, serotonin is not flowing, right? Maybe diet, other things are just impacting all of this and we're starting to get really, really low. And that's really one of the key hallmarks you can see because anxiety and depression both kind of hit that as well. And it just drops people down so low. Mm-hmm. So would an example be, is it that they don't want to do those fun things or they do those fun things and those fun things don't feel fun It's anymore? like they're muted, like are gray. Yeah, that no, that's, that's a perfect way to describe that, yeah. I mean, they could even be actively doing stuff with their family and they may even present to the family as having a fun time and they may actually even have a great time. Like everything was fantastic. Like say maybe it was a family game night or watching, watching a show or mm-hmm. they're excited, they're joking around, but it doesn't matter because what they feel or the way that they view it afterwards is just negatively, even mm-hmm. though they were super happy all throughout, it's just not there for them. Got it. Well, I'm So depressed. it's not always. Do <laughs> <laughs> you want to launch into your session no. now? <laughs> <laughs> but it's so interesting because it's not always so obvious, especially to other people. It really does mm-hmm. require that person to be aware of themselves and in mm-hmm. tune with recognizing well, I actually don't feel the way that I presented that I felt to other people, right. you know? And sometimes you, you can deceive yourself. And yeah. Well, and that self-deception behavior. comes in a lot from shame and guilt, right? Mm-hmm. Yeah. Um, one common thing that I, I see a lot in the private practice is um, um, young families. Uh, with young families, a lot of times it's, um, I don't feel like I have enough time for my spouse, my kids, this and this and this and this. And then the occupation becomes with everything external or outside the self. Hmm. And we're not taking any time for the internal self to build ourselves up, to be able to find healthy ways of doing things. Because I'm just, if I just take care of everyone else first, I just get this all done first, everything will be fine. Mm-hmm. Well, the problem is you burn yourself out and you use all, all of your uh, kind of what we call it, your ego strength throughout the day and there's nothing left. And so it's like at the end of the day, it's like, well, I'm just going to sit here and veg out and watch a show because that'll make me feel good. Sure, that'll give you a little bit of a dopamine hit, mm-hmm. but that's not going to give you the serotonin of enjoying anything. So it kind of feels like you're doing something, but mm-hmm. you're actually not. It's not yeah. actually. Can you, can you explain that a little bit more? So the two things you said were um, uh, ego, what did you say? Ego, ego system? Ego strength. Ego strength. I want to hear about that. And then I wanted to hear about the difference between like a dopamine <laughs> hit and a serotonin hit. And, yeah. Yeah. Okay. Okay. So I'll, I'll explain the, the dopamine and serotonin first, because I think that can help with the ego meter or the ego strength is um, we do a lot of things every day that'll give us a little bit of hit of dopamine. Okay. And I, I hope this isn't too rash to throw this out there, but it's kind of like essentially like taking hit of heroin. Mm-hmm. It's just not on a super addictive level, but it is. Yeah. So for example, if you're scrolling through like TikTok all day long, Facebook, all these other things, it'll give you a dopamine hit which it only lasts until it's over. Hmm. So that's why we'll swipe, 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 because dopamine, 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 but it doesn't actually give you anything fulfilling. It's also just like eating a chip. Oh, hey, that was really good. Before we know we've eaten an entire bag of potato chips, we still want another bag of potato chip Mm -hmm. just because we want that hit of dopamine. The difference between dopamine and serotonin is we can go do an activity. It'll give us a dopamine hit. Hey, that was really exciting, and that's motivating for that amount of time. 
But if we do something behaviorally that's engaging, that's not just like a mindless activity, right? Um, we give it some serotonin, which is like, we feel like we're accomplishing something or giving it an achievement. Then the serotonin jumps in with it. And now we have the hit plus the serotonin, which boosts serotonin, makes us feel less depressed, makes us feel less anxious because serotonin counteracts um, cortisol, which is a chemical from anxiety. Mm -hmm. And so what that does is that just kind of takes that out of our, takes it out of our body. And okay. so we're just feeling a lot more alive and better. So what so, I hear you saying is that everybody needs to do refit. Yes. Yeah. No, and like, I mean, full disclosure, like I, I love it because I've, I've, I heard so much about it when Davey first got into it. And like, I still hear about all these things and she'll talk to me about different things. I've heard different parts of the podcast. I've tried one or two of the things. I'm not very coordinated. I'm not going to lie. Like, I'm a metal guy, like, you know, I have a hard time with some of the music with that. Hey, Jared, just find your release, whatever that looks like. But, you know, I have a nutrition. I think he was going to say something about refit and serotonin. Yeah. Oh, yeah. So that's the thing is because you're actually doing an activity that's requiring you to actually go seek out a way to do achievements. So like even watching the video or even enjoying this podcast, a little bit of dopamine that you add refit or like an activity on top of that, that's a serotonin boost. And then mm. there we have motivation, we have energy, we have these things. And then all of a sudden the cortisol starts to go away a little bit more and our brains are functioning more toward, I want to be achievement based, not lazy based or potato chip based. Mm. Okay. Say. Can that's I good. ask an inappropriate question? We may edit this, but I'm very interested in this. Sure. Sex versus pornography. Hmm. Is sex pornography is, it, is dopamine? Okay, dopamine is dopamine. That's what I thought. And that's it. so um, it releases also oxytocin into the brain, which is like again taking another hit of heroin um, because it's a momentary, uh, like just a momentary little pleasure. Mm -hmm. It doesn't have anything long standing. Now, why people get so hooked into that and even the addiction center of the brain is because that all gets processed through the same center, which it feels really good, right? Mm -hmm. Instantaneously. Sex actually requires a little bit more things like intimacy. Um, if if you're saying if we're having what we call more appropriate like right. partner level sex, which uh -huh. is not just about having a transaction, sex it's not just right. a hookup. Yeah. Right. Yeah, right. yeah, yeah. And so what happens with that is because we care about each other, we we're working for each other. We're going to care more about like how people enjoy sex, mm -hmm. what actually pleasure them. There's going to be a lot more of a an effort as the team, as mm -hmm. far as the team is kind of concerned, to mm -hmm. make it so that it's a job for both both people in this situation. And that can really release a ton of serotonin on top of that oxytocin, dopamine, all these things, right, but also right. just, it's a lot healthier that way. Got yeah. it. So, yeah. So you can That's do, you can have a one night stand with someone you don't care about and that would be a dopamine hit because there's not that added layer of intimacy or emotional connection. But if you are married and you're using it as a connection tool, you're going to get all of the good stuff. Yes. Yeah. Now, if, if you're kind of a sexual predator, though, because you look at that as an achievement mm. to go look up every night, that can actually provide you because it's behavior, right? Wait, you so broke you're up. Like, I'm you... getting a reward for my behavior of like going, oh, so you're getting a reward for a behavior. Can you hear me? Yeah. Start yeah. with the part where you said if you're, you're a sexual, sexual predator. predator. <laughs> yeah. So if you're a little bit more of a sexual predator because you're getting a mental achievement for like hunting down prey. I mean, yeah. for the lack of a better term of that, you're actually going to get a little bit more of that achievement based stuff because it is more about like this overarching goal, those things, which also makes it a lot harder for you to connect to people. Mm -hmm. Because again, you're looking at people as objects instead of 
people. And that's really, really self-destructive. Wow. Wow. Yeah. That's really deep. Can, can someone who is married be a sexual predator? Hmm. I'm going to answer that and say in, yes. in, um, <laughs> in concept. I don't, I don't mean like, can sexual predators be married? Be married. Of course they right. can. Cause there are people who are pedophiles who are married. And then all of a sudden you discover, mm-hmm. you know, they're a pedophile. I guess what I'm saying is that sexual predatory mindset possible in the context of marriage undiagnosed with the same partner or they're going in pre- being no, a predator like on the I'm side. thinking about um even the same partner yeah. yeah yeah I'm thinking about the the male female uh role in in the context of marriage mm-hmm. and in the context of sex where a man might unknowingly be approaching intimacy with his wife with a sexual predatory wiring mm-hmm. versus intimacy, desiring to it's be like intimate with intensity her. versus intimacy, achievement versus connection. Yeah, yeah. yeah. Jared, take it away. <laughs> so yeah, so one thing is is like, like I said, if if someone is using someone as a tool mm. or an object, then that's that's unhealthy, right? Because then we're not we're not being a partner, right? So if it's like I hope this isn't new crass, but if I'm just going to go out and just try and bang my wife, mm-hmm. right. Because I have like frustrations or the, I just got to get this out. Mm-hmm. That's not healthy. Mm-hmm. Right. That would be predatory. And it could also be very manipulative and things like that. Maybe, maybe pushing boundaries of what is comfort in the relate, what is comfortable in the relationship as far as maybe sexual exploration, mm-hmm. things like that. Yeah. Um, and also if it's being influenced by say external forces or external things like pornography and things like that. Right. Right. Um, and hmm. it can be really negative that way because again, it's just someone pushing their own agenda on someone, which is mm-hmm. straight up abuse. Mm-hmm. So that's, that's, that's something to be aware of for everyone is, mm-hmm. you know, if you're not feeling comfortable and you're stating, Hey, like, I don't like this, this is they're not engaged in a healthy way. Mm-hmm. And that's just, that's not, that's, it's just not okay. Yeah. I think what's so important to point out <laughs> is that I think people, uh, convince themselves that because they're married, no abuse or unhealthy mm-hmm. nature can exist because of the the word marriage. Right, right. It's just like this is good because yeah. we're married. That this like justified everything is allowed. Mm-hmm. Everything is permissible mm-hmm. because this is not out of wedlock. When mm-hmm. that in fact is not true, mm-hmm. and it's almost a duty. Yeah, you know. Yeah, um, that that word right there makes me enraged because mm-hmm. that's that's come across my and couples counseling and stuff like that. I was like, no, like if you're not feeling it and they're not, and they're pushing something you don't mm-hmm. want to do and say, no, like that's totally fine. And yeah. it should be respected. And if it's not, there's a huge problem there. Yeah. yeah. No yeah. means wow. no, even in marriage. I have a yeah. lot of thoughts, but I will keep them in my brain. Okay. <laughs> <laughs> well, let's, let's start to, Jared, you may just need to be a regular figurehead on our podcast because um, I have so many I questions. I know, me too. You're such an I, interesting person. Yes. Well, I, I, I would love that because you guys are helping me fulfill one of my dreams, which is to do something like this because I was a big fan of Frasier growing up and I was like a little kid. <laughs> watch that. So the fact that I get to do this is like, you have no idea. It's like totally fulfilling one of my own personal uh, dreams. Wait, Jared, do you, know your, do you know your Enneagram number? Are you an Enneagram guy? A what? Enneagram. I don't even know what that is. Okay. We're well, going to talk I, after. I am, I am literally a caveman in like, <laughs> this current world. Like, I, I, like, I'll play my guitars. I'll do my oil paints, do my family. 
People are like, hey, what's this? I'm like, I don't even know what you're talking about. We're we're <laughs> we gonna teach we're gonna teach you something after this podcast. We're well, gonna introduce you to great. the Enneagram. Jared, it would feel even more official if you put a, a your own headset on. Then you're just oh, oh, yeah, for, yeah. You're for the Fraser you're completely thing. you're yeah. you then <laughs> there you go. <laughs> there <Yeah>. you go. <laughs> okay. So let's kind of turn the corner just a little bit and start to um put ourselves in the forefront of the therapy session um, by asking this question, what is your, here, here was my question from the last podcast. Um, if everyone in my life takes therapy or has therapy, then do I really need it? <laughs> if everyone else is healthy, then Angela. Yeah. Um, that's hard because what you're, my, my question on this would be is you're relying on the external to tell you who you are. And that's really hard because then you're not focused on the internal self, which leads to me, leads me to looking at like, okay, why is it that we want to only be focused on the external versus the internal? Hmm. That, that's I where I would probably start with I that question. Great. <laughs> <laughs> and, and again, I, I don't want to be brutal with any of these things, but that yeah. would be my first question is, Okay, well, just because everything outside of you is okay, does that mean that everything inside of you is okay? Yeah. And here's the thing. If the answer is yes, fantastic. Right. right? If there's still some of those struggles, then there's something that could be addressed that could be helped. And I think it's one of those hard things, too, because when we, if people do go to therapy, these things, there's a little bit of that self-reflection. It's like, well, what's wrong with me? What's And it's like, it may not be that anything's wrong with you. It's just that you haven't learned a certain skill yet or something hasn't come across your way that can help you, like, just get over that hurdle. And I think that's one of those hard things is we assume that so much negativity has to happen first to go to therapy, do these things. It might just be a little bit of a boost to kind of help understand like, okay, here's one of my thinking errors or a problem that I have with my thoughts and how I process belief systems. And it's just a quick bump. And it's like, oh, okay. Keys unlocked, ready to rock and roll, right? Mm -hmm. Mm -hmm. It's like the difference between like having your car like completely um, like read, like get a new engine, get a new catalytic converter. Like you got to, versus hey I just need an oil change or my washer fluids low yeah. mm-hmm. like <clears throat> that's at least how I've viewed it yeah you know well and I was gonna gonna ask the the difference between proactive versus reactive therapy or approaching therapy proactively like before you might even need have it. an event mm-hmm. or um a moment where you have that realization that something has gone haywire a little bit. Taking a vitamin versus taking penicillin. Uh Like, is it a good idea for everyone to go to therapy and gain some skills for what life may bring them? Now you realize you're asking me a very biased question. I know. I was going to say, you're leading the witness. Here's the banner. (laughs) Therapy is for everyone. Um, I mean, I, I think, at least some sort of skill, some sort of thing going on, going forever is a healthy thing. Something that's moving toward growth. Mm-hmm. Does everyone need therapy all the time? No. Right. Like it, it, at some point we would probably become a little bit more neurotic, assuming there's something always wrong with us. Mm. Right. Yeah. But does every single person on the planet need it? Probably not. But would it be good to get a checkup every once in a while, especially if we're starting to feel low or these other things. And the hard thing to answer your question about like the event is, we never know when that's going to happen. Exactly. Right. 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 And if we've had a lot of traumatic events in our lives and maybe we're used to like a certain level of chaos in our lives, hmm. that almost becomes acceptable. And so it's like, we actually thrive in that. 
not healthily, but we thrive in it, right? But it's still beating us down day by day by day because we're going to keep up that pace of a certain amount of chaos and the body just can't take that, right? Yeah. Like eventually it's going to break down and things are going to happen that. So in that case, it's like, yeah, if we have these other things that we know we need to address, depression, anxiety, probably a good idea to be able to get in there and start working on it. So let me ask this question. Wait, I want to. Uh oh, my whole body just locked. I want to stay there for a second because you said the word chaos and 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 constant chaos and seemingly thriving in chaos when you're actually breaking down. Maybe we should just start your session then. Do you want to? Be honest, Jerry. The other kind of uh, kind of big thought before we start Emily's session is I've always been interested in why therapy happens. Um, with just one individual. I know there's couples therapy, but, you know, being one of Catherine's closest friends and sort of hearing moments when she, you know, will tell me stories about things that she has shared with the ther- her therapist or if a therapy session has gone really well. my Or really wrong. <laughs> yeah. I, I'm always interested in why it seems so one-dimensional. And to me, an individual can go into a therapist and paint any scene or scenario from that individual's perspective, but without the added perspective of people close to that person, are you as a therapist, rhetorically and specifically, getting a full understanding? Because there's been are moments you when, be like misled by the yeah, client. Because there's been moments I've said for, to Catherine, take me to your therapy se- session because I need your therapist to know this about you. Okay, well. <laughs> So two, okay. two things with that, just a, a question. I think um, I did ask my therapist if I could invite other people in, and he said it is up to me, but yes. So but why doesn't that happen more? There's that. Well, he'll answer in a second. And the second thing is, Jared, if you, while you're answering, um, I know with people, well, my assumption would be people who have personality disorders, the likelihood of them snowing the therapist is maybe a little bit <clears throat> higher. Um, so maybe you could speak to that as well. Dun, dun, dun. Yeah. How do you know if so, you're getting the truth? Yeah. So, okay. For, first off, it, I, again, I'm, I don't know what's going on in, in, in any therapy session or anything like that you've had, Kevin, right? One thing that we look at is, okay, what is the objective facts going on here, right? So if someone comes in every single, every single week that they're seeing me and they're telling me that all these people are against them, this, mm-hmm. this is this, and it's like the entire world is against them. It's like, objectively we know that's not true mm-hmm. right like it's just not like it's just not possible so a therapist's job is to really start pointing out a little bit of reality testing and then also work on skills to like okay you're telling me all this chaos is going in your life right you've got all these negative things happening constantly okay what do we want to do and again i, I won't put the onus on them or anything like that but it's like what do we want to change in this situation in order to make things better for you yeah right and if it's like, well, I'm interacting, say, maybe with like a negative family member or something that's like constantly, it's like, okay, well, why don't we limit the amount of time you spend or you give to this person that's feeding this negativity all the time, mm-hmm. right? And then start having them kind of scale back. But if it's just a constant, like, everyone's against me, it's like, that's it's just not possible. Like, we, we just don't live in a society where people spit and kick at people every five seconds. Like, it's mm-hmm. just not possible. So mm-hmm. a lot yeah. of us, a lot of reality testing and challenging reality with testing. a lot of Yeah, that's good. That's good. I need a five minute potty break. Okay. <laughs> Good. Maybe just to like also reset. Yeah. Before yeah, we, it'd be great. Before we do Emily's session. Okay. Is that okay, Jerry? <laughs> if you want to take a potty break too, Jerry, you can. Yeah.